Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For about the past year or so now, I've had Art of Manliness readers reach out, tweet me, and tell me about this book called Underground Strength by a fella named Zach Evanish. Finally picked up a copy, checked it out, and it's awesome. It's all about tires and using stones and you know deadlifts, just really basic strength training that resonates with me. I can see why it resonated with a lot of Art of Manliness readers and listeners. So I had to have Zach on the podcast discuss his philosophy towards strength training and talk about his book, Underground Strength. I think you're really going to like this. A lot of great actionable takeaways from this that you can start using today and incorporate into your own strength and conditioning routines. So Zach Evanish, let's do this. Zach Evanish, welcome to the show. Great. I'm excited to be here. All right. So you wrote this book called Underground Strength. That's sort of like this underground cult classic. I've had a whole bunch of Art of Manliness readers tell me about it. Uh, so before we get there, let's talk about the story of how you got into weight training. You talk a lot about the underground strength training. How you got into weight training is actually really interesting. Uh, you started off as sort of a bodybuilder, right? Yeah. So... I've kind of been through the different stages of, uh, I guess, you know, uh, if we put in general terms of fitness. So I began uh, training in 1989. Uh, I was just finishing up eighth grade. So a long time ago. And even before that, you know, my brother would always lift weights in his room. He had an old Joe Weider bench from Sears. He had sand filled weights and, I would go and I would try to work out and it would last for a few workouts and then I would stop and start again. And that was throughout middle school, sixth, seventh grade. <clears throat> and I remember in seventh grade, like questioning myself saying, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I stay committed to working out? You know, is this something wrong with me? I was 12 years old at the time questioning, you know, if, if, uh, uh, if something, if I had some sort of like unique problem that that other twelve-year-old uh, kids have or don't have, and um, in the in the last few weeks of school of eighth grade, I started working out regularly in my uh, brother's room, and I I I opened up for uh, not the first time. This was a gift from our grandfather, the Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding from Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I just started following those workouts. And I remember <clears throat> exercising at the beginning, something like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then it became a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And I remember after two or three weeks, I was like, holy crap, I, I love this. I'm not, I'm not stopping like I used to stop. And then uh, 
you know, not long into the summer, I remember having like shirt sleeves cut off and a girl in the neighborhood was like, oh my God, look at these biceps. And I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> like I had arrived. That's awesome. <laughs> so that was the, uh, my beginning in training and all the information back in the late eighties, the early nineties, not all of it, but really the stuff that was coming across my eyes as far as magazines and books was you know, very much what I call the pretty boy bodybuilding scene. There wasn't all, all this talk of compound lifts and squatting and deadlifting and doing power cleans. You just didn't come across articles like that. Although now I have a lot of old magazines from the 50s, the 60s, and even some magazines from the 80s where they had feature articles from Dr. Ken Leisner who uh, was one of the earlier uh, proponents and students of Arthur Jones, who created Nautilus and the high-intensity training. And he had articles that I wish I had come across because he had uh, articles of college football players, NFL football players, um, his sons talking about how he would get them to eat, things like sending them to school with uh, 12 uh, tuna sandwiches and saying, you know, the rule is you don't come home with these sandwiches and you don't give them away. So you find a way to eat them. And he had pictures of the boys uh, using uh, anvils and odd objects and, you know, welded welded uh, gas containers for farm walk implements. And I say, wow, that's the stuff I wish I came across. So, you know, I was a bodybuilder in my earlier days and uh, I was influenced in the wrong ways. So as a high school wrestler, I looked very strong and, and imposing, but I didn't have, you know, the performance that was required to be successful as an athlete. And not, and even on a deeper level, um, it didn't really train me mentally to be tough, to be confident, to have, you know, that, that uh, instinct where I felt like I was prepared for battle because my training was perfect. You know, I would go to the gym. It was always isolation exercises, lots of machines and cables. So that, uh, you know, I learned the hard way that, yes, that stuff makes you look good, but it doesn't help your performance, physical or mental. So, you know, I've been training since 1989 and I haven't stopped. So that's, um, I'm 39 now, so 26 years. Yeah. Training. Yeah. I thought your story kind of reminded me of mine because I started weightlifting too when I was in eighth grade and I got the, uh, the Joe Weider bench. I think I got it at like service merchandise. Do you remember service merchandise? I think I've heard of those. I mean, we had like Woolworths. Yeah. We had, we I, had independent, uh, sporting goods stores here, you know, in New Jersey, there's a lot of malls. Yeah. And, um, my brother, you know, would always save up money. Uh, he was a bus boy. Then I was a bus boy. I remember we were busing tables. I was in sixth grade and he would always save his money and spend it on gym equipment. I remember he, I think I wrote about that in the book. He had us go to the uh, sporting goods store at the mall where we had to ride our bikes across a, a pretty busy, high, yeah, very yeah, busy yeah. highway. And I remember riding my bike back with the 20 pounds, <laughs> the 10 pound <laughs> plates in my book bag. And I just couldn't keep up with him. So he really inspired me to to be strong, but I, I think I've heard of that store. I mean, yeah, it was like one of these weird things. You went in there and then like yeah. you picked out what you wanted and you'd like call this phone and like, they would like 
bring it up on a conveyor belt. I remember I was just really excited because it took me like a couple months to save up for it. Yes. And then I set up in the garage and like, yeah, I found like this like book from the seventies that my dad had. It had some like lifts, you know, you know, some sumo lifts and bench press and right. And it was like, it was, it was awesome. I I really wasn't pulling, you know, pushing much weight or pulling much weight, but uh, it, it scratched that itch and it began something that I still continue to this day. Yeah, the I wish, you know, I see I have a, a lot of books and I save them all so I could pass them on to my son because I don't know what circle of, you know, fads or gimmicks will come around next in the fitness world. And I want him to, you know, that was a, obviously also a big inspiration behind the book was I wanted something that my kids would be proud of. But I have some very, very old books from early 1900s of um, strength training, as well as old magazines from, like I mentioned, the forties, the fifties, the sixties. And back then, you know, they were titled appropriately. So the magazine was, uh, strength and health or health and strength. And they had a blend of, um, you know, training that actually was good for your health and made you strong. So there was a lot of, um, kind of, um, you know, basic bodybuilding movements, powerlifting. There was a lot of Olympic weightlifting in these books, gymnastic drills, and uh, real simple, straightforward stuff, no BS. And, you know, I want my son to read that stuff as well as my daughter. I want them to see that um, versus the stuff that's kind of teaching them that it's six weeks to this, you know, 30 days to that, because, you know, as you said, you've been training since eighth grade. So over half our lives, or, you know, well over half our lives, you know, two thirds of my life I've been exercising for, and it's not a 30 day or six week, you know, shortcut. It's a, it's a every day, all the time, you know, all in process. Yeah. 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 I collect some of those old fitness magazines as well. Yeah. I'm surprised like how strong those bodybuilders were, right. They yes. were like genuinely strong and like, yeah, the emphasis on gymnastics was always really, it's always really surprising to see like, you know, you need to do a handstand, yeah. right. This was like, this was before like, you know, 50 years before CrossFit where yeah. you know, people were doing handstands, but like they were doing it back in the golden age of bodybuilding. Right. They did. Uh, that's what, you know, uh, muscle beach was, it was, they had the weight pit and then they had all the gymnastic rings. They still have the traveling rings. They had the parallel bars and uh, even inside Arnold's encyclopedia, he talks about like his conditioning. He would, he would ride his bike. He would sprint. He would swim uh, out in the ocean. So even the big guys were doing that. And Dave Draper um, has spoken about that lots and lots of times. And um, that stuff always inspires me because they weren't closed-minded. They weren't one-sided. Yes, they were big, but they also wanted to have the performance aspect. And I thought that was that was something that uh, is just, I love that. Yeah. All right. So you started listening in your eighth grade, but then this Jersey kid, you became a bodybuilding champion in Israel. <laughs> How did that happen? That's kind of a weird story. Yeah, there. So um, I was born in Israel and my family, we moved here. Uh, well, we moved to New York. We moved to the States when I was just shy of a year. My parents always tell me that I was I learned to walk on the plane on the plane here. So uh, we moved. We lived in the Bronx uh, for about four years, and then we moved to New Jersey. And uh, you know, as I said, started getting into the bodybuilding, and that's what I fell in love with. 
Uh, I would look at these magazines and read them, and I purchased every book from the bookstores back when, uh, long before the internet was out, back when people did buy from bookstores. And uh, bodybuilding was just, I feel like uh, bodybuilding and lifting weights saved my life. You know, I, I uh, talk about in the book how I started going through bouts of depression. And um, I, I was, uh, this is at the time I was, you know, started competing in bodybuilding. I was a freshman. Uh, it was the summer before sophomore year in college. So I just finished my freshman year in college. And uh, every couple of years, we would go back to Israel to visit uh, my grandparents. And um, my brother was in the Israeli military at the time. And he was telling me that there's this guy who owns this small gym now in town. Back then, there would be, I mean, you could not find a gym in Israel. I would just go do uh, 20 sets of pull-ups every other day the, the years before it had going to Israel. But there was a gym there, and I went to that gym, and uh, it was very, very small. I mean, oh, it, it must have been like 500 square feet, 550 square feet, super small. The owner saw me, and uh, I was 18 back, back at the time. And uh, my brother introduced me to him, and, and he saw me and said, he goes, you have to compete in this teenage Mr. Israel. It was called the young Mr. Israel, 18 and under. And uh, he's like, it's in a couple of weeks. He saw me. You know, I had a tank top on. He's like, you need to compete. And I was going through this bout of depression, just really just broken down. And I was like, nah, I don't think I want to do it. I don't think I'm ready. And uh, every day I'd show up at the gym, and I would train. And um, he would ask me over and over, and I'd kept saying, no, no. And then one day, um, one night at home, I remember I'm, I'm at my grandparents, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, what the hell? Like, I, I've always read all these bodybuilding magazines. I read Arnold's Education of a Bodybuilder hundreds of times. I mean, I memorized the book, and I wanted to live that experience of competing and you know, how he broke out of the uh, Austrian military, broke, broke over the fence to compete in the, in the young Mr. Europe or the junior Mr. Europe. And I remember saying to myself, like, is this what you're going to do? You're going to be an excuse maker. You're going to be weak. You're not going to challenge yourself. And I remember I, I, I just said to myself, that's it. It's time to change, time to, you know, be a strong person. So I, the next morning I went to the gym and I remember uh, the day or two before that, the gym owner, Abner, said, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to ask you one more time. He had been asking me for two weeks. And uh, I remember I got to the gym and there was nobody in the gym. And uh, he was just sitting there. It seemed like he was just waiting all day. <laughs> I got there that night. Late at night, I would usually get there. And um, he's like, OK, last chance. You're going to do this or not? And I said, yes, I'm going to compete. And uh, he's like, he's like, that's it. Let's train right now. And then we trained together. It was myself, the gym owner, and this guy, Joe, who was, uh, who was a former uh, Army paratrooper. And he was trying to get into the Israeli SEAL team. And uh, the three of us wound up training. It was like two weeks leading up to it. But we would train twice a day all the time. I mean, it was just super intense. It was, it was amazing. And I went on to win the young Mr. Israel and there was like about 20 kids competing and it was amazing. We competed not, you know, most bodybuilding shows are inside a high school theater, maybe a college theater, right? This was in an amphitheater. I mean, it was friggin' amazing. The, the stars, you know, the sky was open. Um, it just blew me away. 
So I competed and uh, I was age uh, 18 and I won the uh, won the young young Mr. Israel. This was 1994. Okay, that was a long time ago. All right, so you jumped from bodybuilding, then you did a stint with mixed martial arts. How did that happen? Yeah, so I was, uh, you know, after, you know, the young Mr. Israel, the next year I also competed couple times and I took first place and second place in a few bodybuilding shows, natural bodybuilding shows, one of them. And um, then uh, after uh, whew, a little bit after that is when I graduated college, I became a teacher and I kind of was getting that itch to uh, to kind of defeat my inner demons. I was a high school wrestler and and, and super disappointed in my performance as a high school wrestler, especially with the work I put into it. And uh, as I got older, I started developing just a, a different sense of confidence. I mean, I was feeling like a man. I wasn't afraid to go out and battle anybody on a wrestling mat. And I was like, man, I'm ready. I was coaching uh, wrestling at the time. I was coaching at a middle school, high school. Um, and I was also, as I was an adjunct at a community college, an adjunct uh, professor. And I remember um, I was brought... I met up with the wrestling coach and wrestled with some of the guys and uh, I took it to him and I was like, man, I'll, I could wrestle anybody. So at the time it wasn't called uh mixed martial arts. It was called NHB, no holds barred fighting. And uh, a lot of the dominant uh, fighters were uh, college wrestlers, old college wrestlers. I mean, it was guys like, um, Oh, of course, I'm forgetting the name. They, you know, uh, Mark Kerr, guys, you know, a lot of these Ohio State wrestlers, um, Kevin Randleman, Mark Coleman. I mean, they, they were the ground and pound guys. Uh, this is the early 90s, oh no, late 90s. So I'm looking and looking and I find a place uh, online and uh, it was a place about 25 minutes away, inner city called, uh, they were teaching shoot fighting. Shoot fighting was like open palm strikes. It was what they were doing a lot in Japan. So I went to that place and started getting involved with Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. And there wasn't a whole lot of instruction. I mean, it was more like show up and just you're going to wrestle. You're going to box. You're gonna, anybody who's there is there to fight. And uh, started doing that and um, started getting really into it. And there was, uh, I didn't compete in any kind of uh, striking fights, but I competed in like the earlier days of the Grappler's Quest Nationals. I mean, today there could be probably a hundred people competing in your weight class. When I competed, I think there was like eight of us or 12 of us. <laughs> and I had a super close uh, overtime loss to a, a judo black belt. And I was so fired up. I was like, I will never lose again. And it also boosted my confidence being I was just, you know, my competitive days was only high school, four years of high school instruction. But I had been wrestling and coaching wrestling since the day I graduated high school. So my confidence was up and I started training hard, hard, hard. And I tore my ACL in training. And that was really the moment that changed my life and inspired me to uh, become a strength coach or just to become a coach in general. You know, I was wanting to, in this weird way, save the world of combat athletes and help them train smarter so they wouldn't go through all the disappointments that I went through. 
And uh, since then, I've I've just been like possessed. I don't know. I just refuse to lose at anything I do. You know, I've been there before the losses. So I know that the, the mindset is the key. So uh, once I started, uh, once I got had that ACL injury and then I had my ACL repair, it was like I started this mission where I was like going to change the, the world of, of training combat athletes. So from, from the get-go, I started researching business with training and I started putting out information probably around 2003, maybe, maybe even 2004, something like that. It's definitely been well over 10 years that I started creating, you know, ebooks and stuff like that. I mean, I was getting PDF, like Adobe PDF maker bootleg editions <laughs> off of eBay, you know, to make a PDF. So it's been a long time. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer a free plant consultation forever. So I use Fast Growing Trees to order not an indoor tree, but an outdoor tree. There is an oak tree that was in our front yard that died a few years ago due to heat stress. Had to cut it down. There's been a blank spot that I wanted to put another tree there. I wanted a maple tree that turned bright red during the fall. And I went on Fast Growing Trees, found the tree that fit the criteria that I was looking for. Turns bright red. It's a maple tree that turns bright red in the fall. So if you want to try Fast Growing Trees, right now they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when they use code MANLINESS at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code MANLINESS at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code MANLINESS, offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. 
Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, so one of the first things I did, I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. So tell us about how did, okay, it seems like everything you've been, your life so far with the, the weight training, when you're a teenager, the wrestling, the bodybuilding, the MMA, you know, the, the grappling, led up to underground strength training. So, I mean, I guess, what is the underlying philosophy of underground strength training? Yeah, when I was first asked that question, uh, a guy was interviewing me, and he's like, describe what you guys do. And at the time, the big fad was this, quote unquote, functional training, where everybody was had to train on a stability ball, or you had to train on an unstable surface, or you, you were using all these expensive cable pulleys. And, you know, everything was just circus tricks. I mean, it was just crazy. And I wasn't doing that at all. You know, we were, I had guys swinging sledgehammers. I had them chopping wood. I had tree logs in the backyard where we would carry them, squat them. We were climbing ropes that were slung around trees. We were lifting stones. I mean, pushing trucks. And I just felt like we didn't follow any of those rules, you know, and many of the popular coaches back then, I, they laughed at me, you know, they were like, ah, you know, that's some stupid stuff. That guy's an idiot. And uh, I think if I was younger, I would have cowered to that. And I would have, you know, had my lack of confidence, but I was like, you know what, look at our results. You can't argue with our results. The kids that I was training, the athletes, they were coming to me weak. They were not winning wrestling matches. They were not starting on the football team at all. I mean, some of them were, you know, one kid broke a collarbone. He was so weak. And um, I started churning out kids that became all area football players, uh, all state wrestlers, state champ wrestlers, all American wrestlers. And I looked at it like we weren't following the rules of what the norm was. But now the way I look at it is, I just don't discriminate against anything that can make you stronger, faster, tougher. So I'm not the guy that says you only use kettlebells. You only use powerlifting. I don't, I feel like that's just a closed-minded way. It's an arrogant you know, way to think. I look at 
what is the best thing for this individual physically as well as emotionally. So the training I do is a blend of, of physical and mental, but uh, we use all training tools from free weights to kettlebells to dumbbells to odd objects like, you know, tires and, you know, all kinds of different shape and size sandbags, stones. So when you see our training, um, you'll notice a wide variety of implements being used. And I found that it's great because it not just gets them physically stronger, but man, it gets people tough. It gets people tough. And even for uh, people think, oh, he's just training high school athletes. I've got a, a good amount of adults that train with me and it makes them tougher in life. It's just like they apply the struggles through our training and they become more successful in life because they're able to kind of look at life and lifting as the same. It makes them stronger. It, it teaches them how to uh, handle obstacles from work and things like that. So underground is really just not discriminating against the tools or the methods that deliver results. So I'm really open-minded and, and it's always evolving, constantly evolving. I think people are misconstrued with it because they feel like there's not a lot of science behind our training, which there is. There's a lot of science, but the most important thing is it's all application because certain things look really good in these um, scientific uh, training manuals written by you know doctors of exercise science, but they don't always hold true when you're actually training um, a group of athletes or a specific athlete or sometimes those scientific, you know, uh, I don't know if I want to call them rules, but those scientific theories, they don't, they may apply better for one sport than they do for another sport. So there's a lot of things that I look at when I'm training and I really individualize training for the person, for their needs, whether, whether it's sport, life, whether it's the, the, the mental aspect that they need, you know, I, I blend a lot of it together. So I don't just learn and um, incorporate stuff from the strength and conditioning world, but I, I also, a lot of people who follow me know I'm, I'm very much connected to uh, the military, especially, you know, the elite forces of how they train. And I, I blend a lot of those things into what we do to, to maximize our results. That's what it's about results. All right. So you got, uh, yeah, you flip me through the book. You see a lot of like just cool exercises, like yeah, splitting wood, the sledgehammer, tire poles, but you also have uh, squats, shoulder press, you know, the barbell exercise as well. I mean, is there any type of programming with it? Or I mean, how does, you know, if someone were to do this, like, how would they decide like what they should do for like how long? I mean, what's the yeah. programming behind it? So in the book, um, I didn't just give, I gave sample workouts, broke them down into like sample beginner workouts, sample intermediate, sample advanced workouts. But leading up to that, I write about blending science with hell you know blending kind of like this good training program that kind of follows the rules along with things that are going to test your mental toughness that are going to push you physically outside of your comfort zone to help you grow not just physically but grow in your mentality and even on a deeper level you know the warrior spirit that mark divine talks about from seal fit so when we train uh, some of our workouts could be full body workouts. Sometimes they're focused more upper body or focused more on lower body. But, you know, a lot of our workouts, you know, if you come and see our gym, 
see our guys training of all ages. We start with a warm up. It's it's a blend of just movement. Sometimes it's got gymnastic drills like tumbling and cartwheels. Other times it's got some light bodybuilding work in there like dumbbell benching and maybe kettlebell clean and press or some light kettlebell snatches, uh, sled drags. So we're we're utilizing programming that is a blend of building strength, building muscle, um, and, and overall athleticism. So is there a program to follow? Yes, but I never give a blanket program and say this is what everybody needs. It all starts with when I'm training people, how do they move? You know, you might be very strong. You could deadlift 405, bench 315, but you can't do a push-up with unless your feet, your hands are elevated, or you can't do a lunge. You don't have the unilateral leg strength or the stability in your ankles, knees, and hips to to push yourself off one leg. So I look at those things before I determine this is the workout that everybody has to follow. You know, to me, I want to see people having uh, general fitness. You've got to be in shape. If you're all the way on one end of the spectrum, very, very conditioned, but then very weak, I'm not a fan of that. Or if you're very, very strong, but you're winded when you got to walk up a flight of stairs or you can't play with your kids because, you know, you're too big. Like, I don't like to see those things unless really that's your area of focus. You know, if you're a powerlifter, maybe that's where you're going to be. You know, you got to chase the extremes. If you're a all out ultra marathoner, you may not have a lot of strength. Although uh, I think many of them are kind of learning that, you know, you don't have to be weak and also be a, to, to be an ultra uh, runner or ultra swimmer, any of that stuff. So there's no set plan until I see that person move because movement to me is, is number one. If you move like I want to fix that first and foremost. You bring up an interesting point there about the difference between athleticism and strength. I mean, what is right. that difference? And if you're just an average Joe Schmo, like, right, you know, I'm married, dad, I don't really play sports anymore, except for the occasional pickup basketball game. Like, why should I be athletic? Well, an occasional pickup basketball game is where a lot of a lot of unathletic guys, you know, start getting hurt, like tearing ACLs or jamming up their ankle. Oh, I jumped and I rolled my ankle. And you hear this shit all the time. But what's unique is, you know, I look back to my high school days, I don't ever recall a kid saying, I tore my ACL. I've got to get ACL surgery. Nobody told me they were getting Tommy John surgery. There's no such thing as little leaguers elbow. These are all words that have been created because of overuse and overspecialization. So there's a lack of balance. So when I tore my ACL, you know, looking back at those days was my training program was bodybuilding, leg extensions and and not not really doing too much machines, not enough stability work, poor mobility. So my body just was, you know, if it was put in a compromised position, my joints were not prepared for it. And and the reason why the body gets hurt is because it's not prepared for what you're doing. So athleticism, you know, I look at it as a blend, having strength, the ability to move, to be healthy, uh, to be able to handle whatever it is that you're doing. So if you're a, a power lifter and you, you don't have kids to play with and you're not playing pickup games, then your athleticism and your health won't really be challenged uh, because you just know how to go to the gym and squat heavy and deadlift heavy. And things are different 
for guys like you and I who become fathers. You start looking at your training differently. You know, uh, I remember when I strained my lower back and my back was killing me while I was giving my daughter a bath. You know, she was a baby. She was a couple months old. And that was the first time I started saying, like, screw this. You know, I, I'm not going to let my training interfere with being a dad. And, uh, you know, so when I look at athleticism, I don't look at it in relation to a sport. I look at it in relation to your life. So if your training is uh, messing up your life, then we've got a problem. Unless, of course, um, you're zoned in. If you're training for the Olympics, then your life is the preparation. You know, Joe DeSena always talks about that. Um, I'm not sure what uh, rowing team, what country they're from, but they had that blog called, will it make the boat go faster? And they were like, Hey, you guys want to go see a movie tonight? And they say, will it make the go the boat go faster? They say, no, all right, we're not going to the movies. You know, that's when you're in the zone and you're being extreme. But when you become a parent, your, uh, your, your view of training, um, whether you like it or not, it has to change. You need to be healthier. You need to be able to play with your kids. You need to be able to, uh, balance your training and not be on the extremes of basically beating the crap out of your body where you're unable to function uh, with playing with your kids. And as you said, it doesn't have to be a pickup game of basketball. What if the kids out front want to play soccer or you go bike riding? You want to be able to do those things. And to me, that's the most important thing to me. It just, I don't care how much I squat, bench or deadlift anymore, although I'm inspired to always lift heavier um, I don't like, I, I change my training anytime I feel that it's interfering with being a great father. Guys who are listening to this podcast right now, what can they start doing today to apply the philosophy under of underground strength in their own life? I, I say, uh, don't be afraid to get uncomfortable. So if you're always going to the, to the Globo gym, uh, that's, you know, got the air conditioning or the heat and it's got the TVs. Then one day I want you to go to the local playground and get, get, get going with your hands on the monkey bars, on the parallel bars, go and find a stone and just carry it as long as you can, or do clean and presses with the stone, put the car in neutral and push it across the empty parking lot. A couple of times, go out and train in a way that takes your body out of its normal realm of training and you'll start developing a much uh, a much more unique style of training, and you're also going to feel like your mind is evolving differently. You know, we guys like you and I, with you know, art of manliness, and we talk about the confidence factor and and being tougher. That kind of training in this unique way, it breeds self confidence. You just feel like you have a bit of that alpha male going on inside of you because. You're like, all right, I know I'm not checking my cell phone in between sets. I'm not looking in the mirror. I don't, I'm not relying on the music that's going through the gym to motivate me. I'm outside training amongst mother nature, whether it's hot or cold out. And you start to get a little bit of that edge. And that is important. Man should never lose that edge. And that's something that you can train to acquire and you could also lose it by training and really living the wrong way, living in a way that doesn't make you uncomfortable. And that's that's a scary place for me. I don't ever, you know, I don't when I find myself getting a little comfortable, 
that's when I make sure I go and train outside. You know, I own two gyms, and uh, especially when the weather's nicer, but even in the winter, I make sure I get outside and do some training. Yesterday was a, was a nice snowstorm here. I got to the park with my kids. I was sprinting with them as they, as they sat in the, in the sleighs. I was chasing them. We're up and down on the playground, and in between chasing them, I hopped up on the bars and did dips. And doing that stuff just it puts my mind in a different place. I start saying in the back of my head, like, yes, this is strong, you know, training while the snow is blowing and nobody else is, you know, out here training like this in the cold. It gives you a, a great uh, confidence factor. And then I, I take that confidence and I apply it to my work in, in all factors of work, whether it's, you know, my writing or my online or, you know, being willing to do the things that other gym owners aren't willing to do. That kind of training, I just call it get comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm going to put this out there. Monkey bars hurt. Don't be deceived. Like, <laughs> I remember yeah. I, I, did some, I did some playground workout, and I just, I'm going to do the monkey bar. And I hadn't done monkey bars since I was in elementary school. Man, that is really uncomfortable. Like, it hurts your your shoulders. Like, man, it's a, it's a workout. Yeah, it's just because we're not 50 pounds. Anymore, yeah, I know. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's uh you're you're bigger, so using your body weight becomes much more challenging, and uh, that stuff's important. You want to be able to move your own body. Uh, I'm a big believer in body weight and calisthenic style training. Before you're trying to lift the weights, I want to see guys that could do push-ups, jumping, sprinting, pull-ups, dips. I want to see all men being able to do that. Awesome. Well, Zach, where can people find out more about your work? Uh, easiest way is go to undergroundstrength.tv. And uh, if you just Google underground strength coach, they'll see, wow, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, all the YouTube videos. We've got, I think, over 1,700 YouTube videos with training, wow. mindset, lot, lots of stuff that could be um, easily applied, but undergroundstrength.tv would be great. And, uh, the strong life podcast, they could find that as well on the blog. Awesome. Well, Zach, Ev Evanesh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Thank you, Brett. Thanks everybody for listening. Our guest today was Zach Evanesh. He is the author of the book underground strength, and you can find that on amazon.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, really appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, whatever it is you use to listen to your podcast. And also uh, recommend us to your friends if you think it's worth that. That's the greatest compliment you can give us. Anyways, until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.